welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, the life and faith intersect. Join us for this Sunday's service as we look into the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Hey, we're going to jump right into our uh, second talk this morning in our series, God at the Box Office. Um, the Avengers were born actually two years after I was born, so I grew up cutting my teeth on the Avengers. But my all-time favorite superhero was not one of the Marvel superheroes. It was actually a superhero that didn't receive the notoriety that the Avengers received, but I was a huge fan. His name was Ultraman. Um, And um, how many of you here, uh, like me, uh, shared a love and an affection for Ultraman? Can I see your hands? Okay, about three of you. Uh, That's good. And it's to be expected because Ultraman ran a a whole of one season, had 40 episodes, but I was hooked. And as as a kid, this this, uh, superhero made an incredible impression on me, and that was my superhero. Um, I don't know how we did it, but our our 19-inch RCA television with the rabbit ears somehow was able to pull in that television station, TBS... Tokyo Broadcasting System, and we were actually able to get uh, Ultraman uh, for that year. But um, back to the Avengers. The original Avengers actually consisted of of, uh, Iron Man and Thor and the Hulk. Uh, There were actually two other original uh, Avengers that didn't outlast time and didn't make it, and for good reason. Uh, Ant-Man and Wasp. How many of you remember Ant-Man... And Wasp. Okay, a few of you do, a few more of you. Well, for those of you here that are kind of chuckling this morning and thinking, how lame is it that our pastor thinks that Ultraman is a superhero? Listen, if you're a Marvel fan, you had a superhero named Ant-Man, okay? So, it settles the score. The Avengers actually has outlived generations. May of last year, it became a full-length motion picture, and it broke and smashed multitudes of box office records, including in May of 2012, when it was released, it was the largest debut film ever in the history in North America. $207 million was grossed in its debut weekend. How many of you were part of the debut weekend of the Avengers? Can I see your hands? Okay, several of you. In this series, what we're doing is we're talking about um, some of the subtle themes that are found in some of these box office hits. Last week, we, we talked about the Hunger Games, and we dealt with the topic of managing our appetites. This morning, we're going to talk about managing our emotions. If you look at uh, The Avengers, it is, a, it is a film that's filled with emotionally charged characters. You've got the Hulk, who's trying to contain and manage and control his anger issues. You've got Loki, actually, uh, who is, is, is bent on getting even because of his jealousy of his brother Thor. And then you've got Iron Man, who is one who thinks of himself as superior than every other superhero that's ever come down the pike. Emotionally charged individuals. And reality is this. If you look at the Bible, you and I have been created emotionally charged people. As human beings, we are not only created with the ability to think and to reason, but you and I have been created with the ability to feel and to feel deeply. And I think that's really important. When God created us, God made us 
and our brains with two hemispheres. We have a hemisphere that is logical, and we have a hemisphere that is emotional. For those of you here this morning that are right brain people, and you particularly feel, and you are emotional type of person, you're driven by your emotions, uh, or if you're here this morning and you're a left brain individual who's more logical and more of a thinker, the reality is this. We have a shared part of our brain that shares an equal amount of space for our thinking and our feeling. And why is that? It's because we literally have been created in the likeness of God. Did you know that God has emotions? Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that God has emotions? Now, God isn't moody. And God doesn't have moods and mood swings. Aren't you glad for that? But listen, the reality is, though God may not be emotional, God has emotions. In the Bible, we find that God feels and he feels deeply. God's saddened. God's grieved. God feels anger. God feels jealousy. God feels overwhelming love. And on all of these emotions that we find in the Bible uh, are the fact that they are complete in who God is. But I am so grateful that God uh, doesn't ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed, aren't you? So grateful for that. My wife, on uh, this weekend, we were sitting down for breakfast, and uh, my, my wife said, sorry, I, I was mad at you. When your wife says that to you, your mind immediately begins to think about, what in the world have I done that my wife uh, was mad at me? And she could kind of see my puzzled look, and she, so she gave me the back story. She said, last night I had a dream. And in my dream, I was making dinner. And you walked into the kitchen and you took the food I was preparing out of one side of the sink and you put it in the other side of the sink and you proceeded to wash your hands and you got soap in the food. And then I made dinner and you said it wasn't a big deal, but, but listen, it tasted like soap and I was angry in my dream. But it's okay. I'm not mad anymore. Isn't it amazing how emotionally wired we are? That even a dream that we have no control over can somehow affect how we wake up in the morning, how we think, and how we feel. Now, reality is that one of the most important spiritual paradigm shifts that you and I can make is to see our emotional life and our emotional health as an enormous part and connected to our spiritual health. For centuries, I think a lot of people believe that feeling emotions and being open and honest about how you feel is somehow sinful. That we shouldn't be real with how we feel. And if we are spiritually in control of our lives, we won't feel certain emotions. And I simply don't believe that's true. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Churches, actually addresses this when he writes this. He says, despite all of the emphasis today on spiritual transformation, church leaders rarely address what spiritual maturity looks like as it relates to emotional health. The link between emotional health and spiritual maturity is a large, unexplored unexplored area of discipleship. We desperately need, I believe, to re-examine the whole of Scripture and the life of Jesus in particular in order to grasp the dynamic of this link. While I do believe in the important place of professionally trained Christian counselors to bring expertise to the church, I believe the church of Jesus Christ 
is to be the primary vehicle of spiritual and emotional maturity. Sadly, for too long we have delegated emotional issues to the therapist's office and have taken little responsibility and, and only taken responsibility for spiritual problems in the church. The two are inseparably linked and critical to a fully biblical discipleship. I wholeheartedly concur with what Scazzaro suggests there. That for us to be emotionally healthy people means that we are also spiritually healthy people and vice versa. We cannot separate our emotional well-being and how we manage our emotional life from what we do with our spiritual life. They are part and parcel, one and the same. Now there's a few things on the front end of this that I, that I want you to know that I think are important for us when we talk about managing uh, our emotional and our emotional life. First of all, I think it's important we know this. We are a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body. That order matters. You were not created first body, you were first created spirit. And you have contained within your life and in your person a soul, which is the feeling part of you. It's the part of you that will live forever. You say, do our emotions go with us to heaven? In Revelation, the Bible says God will wipe every tear from our eyes. So obviously there's going to be deep feelings and deep emotions when we get to heaven someday. I think it's important for us to understand this, that that we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. And because of that, emotions are an enormous part of how we've been engineered and how we've been hardwired by God. I think it's also very important for us to note that in our lives, what we do with our spiritual life affects how we handle and what happens in our emotional life. Emotions, however, can be deceptive. A number of years ago, Dr. James Dobson wrote a book entitled Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And the answer is, Absolutely not, but you better not ignore them. Emotions can deceive us, but emotions should never be ignored and should never be be looked at as not significant or not important. There's another important part of emotions that I want you to know. There is a mental component to our emotions. What we feel is a direct relationship to what we think. That's actually what Proverbs says. Look at Proverbs. Chapter 23, verse number 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And ladies, I don't want to let you out. For as she thinks in her heart, so is she. Here's what the Bible is suggesting. The Bible is suggesting that there is an interplay between our brain and our body. That interplay is called our emotions. And emotions are simply a physical or a physiological response to how we think, to what we believe, and to our ideology. That's why a big part of managing our emotions has to do with managing our thought life. If we don't think right, and if we don't think well, and if we don't think spiritual, it will affect the way that we feel. Our feelings are a direct correlation to our thoughts. Now in the Bible, the Bible is filled with with content and information 
about the fact that we are emotional beings and, and, and with how we are to respond to the emotional aspect and the emotional part of our life. Look at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. For everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. No doubt about it, when you watch the birth of a child, you, you have a rush of emotions that seem overwhelming at the time. Incredible joy, incredible heights of excitement. But there's also a time in everyone's life when they're going to exit this life. And when a loved one exits this life, you have a flood of emotions. They're very different emotions, but both may result in tears. Both may result in deep feelings. But there is a time for every emotion that we experience here on the earth. There's an entire book that is dedicated in the Bible to how we handle our emotions. Where the majority of the Bible is is about what God is saying to us. There's an entire book of the Bible that's dedicated to what we are saying to God. And you know, in our prayer life, I think it's important to know that prayer is both what God is saying to us and it's what we are saying to God. One is not more significant than the other. God wants to speak to us, but God also wants to hear from us. He wants to know what we're feeling. And this entire book actually is the longest book in the Bible. And for good reason. Because we have a lot of emotions. And it's important that we learn to manage our emotions with God's help. That book is the book of Psalms. John Calvin referred to the Psalms as the anatomy of the human soul. I like that. Because it tells the story and it tells the picture of this wave of emotions that we feel. The high highs and the low lows. And as we look in and we peer in to this particular book that's predominantly written by the king of Israel, David, what we discover is that David knew the secret of spiritual health. And he knew that the secret of spiritual health was to be emotionally healthy with God. There's just a number that I want to highlight this morning and touch on that I, I think all of us will resonate with one or maybe two of these here this morning. How do we manage emotionally our anger? Now, I know none of you in this auditorium ever deal with anger, but I do. And so I, I, I go to the scripture and I want to find out what does God teach us about anger and how do we handle the emotion of anger? And then I land on a psalm like Psalm number 3 that says this, Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all the enemies, my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. When was the last time you prayed that prayer to God? Okay, let's be honest. When was the last time you felt like praying that prayer? I think we all have. We've all had people, and I hope they're not sitting next to you this morning, but we've all had people that we wanted to pray that prayer for. They just got under our skin, and we wanted God 
to settle and even the score. And if we're honest, anger is really a secondary emotion that comes because of an emotion of feeling like you've been mistreated. Feeling like something wasn't fair. There was an injustice that was done. And through your interpretation, it results in a physiological sensation or response called anger. Because of that, anger is really morally neutral. Now think about that. Anger is not sinful and anger is not evil. That's actually what Ephesians teaches. Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, verse 26. If you are angry, do not let it become sin. You know what I love about the Psalms? I love that David is actually being gut-level honest and real with God about how he's feeling. Truth be told, every one of us tend to filter our prayers through the, the grid of theological correctness. In other words, we pray the way that we think God wants to hear us pray. We pray our prayers in ways that we think God's going to look down from heaven And he's going to smile upon us because we were a good boy or a good girl and we prayed the right way. But Psalm 3 and so many other Psalms, I call them unsanitized prayers. They really are unsanitized. They are just an individual who's being completely forthright with how he's feeling. Now, you can look at a Psalm like Psalm 3 where David prays that and you can say that's not the correct way to pray. And you may be right, but it's the honest way to pray. And you know what? God loves our honesty. And God wants our honesty. Because I have a conviction. You know what makes anger destructive? When we don't process it with God first. And I have a deep conviction that if you want anger and you want anger to lose some of its toxicity, take it to God in prayer. Talk to God with, about how you're feeling and be real about it. God is big enough to handle it. The emotion of anger. We feel it. Some of us here in this auditorium uh, have to deal with the emotion of rejection. We feel a lot like David did when he prayed this in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You seem far from saving me, far from away from my groans. My God, I call to you during the day, but you don't answer. I call at night. I'm not silent. You know what David is doing here? David is feeling the tension between his theology, his doctrine, and his experience. He's saying there is a tension between what I believe of God, what I know of God, but what I'm feeling right now. And right now, God, I'll be honest with you. I don't only feel like you're far away I feel like you're silent. I feel like you're not listening to anything that I'm saying and to my prayers. For centuries, there was a a doctrine that was pretty prominent uh, among Christians. It was a doctrine called the doctrine of divine retribution that suggested this. If you're living your life well, and if you're doing things as you should, God will bless you. Good things will happen to you. You will have wealth. You will have health. You will have prosperity. But if you're not doing things right, if you're not living the way that you should, 
Trouble will come your way. Difficulty will come your way. Sickness will come your way. And it's in direct correlation to something that you've done. And what I think Psalms teaches us, and what David teaches us, is that really there's, there's a fallacy to that doctrine. You can be doing everything right in your life, and God can feel distant. You can be living a life that is honorable to God, that's pleasing to God. You're praying, you're reading your Bible, you're attending church faithfully, you're doing everything you should. You're in, you're in relationship and community with other people who are moving you in the right direction. But God, where are you? I don't sense you. And you know what's amazing to me? Is that even Jesus experienced this emotion. When Jesus was preparing to take his final breath on the cross, he knew the Psalms well. He could have prayed any prayer, but guess which prayer he chooses? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to what I'm about to say. It is not unspiritual to feel God forsaken. It is not unspiritual to go through times in our life where we feel like God is distant. That's a real emotion. I, I, I suspect Terry Anderson felt it in 1985 as a Christian journalist when he was kidnapped and held hostage in Lebanon for six and a half years. You talk about feeling abandoned, forsaken, neglected. Mother Teresa chronicles this feeling throughout her lifetime in her diaries where she talks about this feeling of being abandoned. And let me just read an excerpt from one, of her, from one of her diary entries. She says, I am told God lives in me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. I want God with all the power of my soul. And yet between us there is a terrible separation. Heaven from every side seems closed. If you're here today and you feel like, where is God? God, why have you abandoned me? Why do I not feel your presence close to me? You are not the first one to feel it, and you won't be the last one. And God wants us to talk to him about it. What do we do and how do we manage our emotions when we feel disappointed? When the things that we believed for, the dreams that we wanted in life, what we thought could have been and should have been isn't. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? David felt that. David knew what it was like to live a life and then be disappointed. Psalm 35, he addresses this. He says, when my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. My wife and I this past week went to the theater and we went to see Victor Hugo's musical Les Miserables. Um, I'm not a musical fan. I'm not a Broadway fan necessarily, but the storyline that I knew enough about captured my attention. It is a movie that is filled with grace. In fact, as I was watching it, I was thinking it'd be a good movie to include in our God at the Box Office series but I don't want to sing the entire talk to you. So for those of you that have seen it, you know uh, we certainly aren't going to do that. 
Fantine, who is one of the prominent characters uh, in the movie and in the Broadway musical, is actually a young lady who's filled with dreams. She has all the aspirations of what her future could look like. And as a young lady, she falls in love with a young man, gets pregnant, has a baby, and he deserts her. Her dreams begin to collapse, and then she goes and she, she, she finds a job trying to provide for her daughter, working at a factory. And when the foreman finds out that she has a child, thinking that she's immoral, he sends her out on the streets. Nowhere else to turn, she begins to sell things like her hair and her teeth for money. When she finally has sold everything she can sell, she only has one other thing to sell, and that's her body. She becomes a prostitute on the streets and eventually contracts a disease that ends her life, leaving her daughter an orphan. One of the most powerful scenes in the movie is when Fantine actually sings the song that's entitled, I dreamed a dream. Listen to some of the words in this particular song. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hopes were high and life worth living. Here's how the song ends. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell that I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream that I dreamed. You ever felt like life has done that to you? You ever felt like life killed the dream that you dreamed? And what do we do with the emotions, the disappointments, the heartaches and the frustrations that come along with feeling like we had these aspirations but but never materialized? Some of you here today continue to wrestle with the physical sensations of disappointment and frustration because a dream that you held on to for years has never come to pass for you. Something that you believed would be has not become reality. What do we do with that emotionally? Well, David was honest with God about how he felt. And there's one other emotion that I think we find prominent throughout the Psalms. One that a lot of times we don't talk about in church. We don't like to even think about because we we somehow think that morally it's sinful to admit we struggle with it. How do we emotionally handle it when we're depressed? When we deal with depression? 13 to 14 million Americans will deal with depression this year alone. One in five Americans will go through a major bout in life of some sort of depression. Now, now we don't know exactly what causes it. There can be all sorts of causes. It can be a chemical imbalance. There can be physical issues going on. Uh, other physical issues that are causing it. Uh, There certainly can be psychological issues and mental issues that create depression. But the reality is this. Sometimes in life, we feel like David felt. In Psalm 88, when he said this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles, and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. I am forgotten, cut off from your face, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Darkness 
is my closest friend. Some of you, like me, have gone through times in your life when you felt like darkness was your closest friend. You know, when we're depressed, we feel like life is a parade of troubles, just like David talks about. When we're depressed, what we feel like is death cannot come too soon to get us out of our misery and out of our frustration, out of our difficulty. When we go through depression, we feel like we have failed somewhere along the lines and what we're getting, we deserve. We're going through this because of something that we have done. We may not even know what that something is, but if we could just figure it out, maybe the depression would lift. And somehow we feel guilty like we have caused it and we've created it. Even as I talk about it, some of you resonate with it. Because life situations and circumstances have brought about depression in your life at times. And you've dealt with seasons where darkness seemed like your closest friend. Listen to what I'm about to say. Your faith in God and your relationship with Jesus Christ does not inoculate you from depression. But it gives you the strength and the courage to deal with it, to face it. There are some people that believe that if you are right with God, you'll never be depressed. That is just simply not the case. But what we can do is we can look to God and know that when we go through difficulties, when we are feeling emotionally down in darkness, dark pits, we can know that God is there and God just simply wants us to cry out to him, to be honest about what we're feeling, and to say, God, we need you. We need your help. Jesus, just prior to his arrest and his sentencing and his crucifixion, had a message that he wanted to deliver to his disciples. The message was really simple. In this world, you're going to have troubles. In this world, life is going to be difficult. In this world, there are going to be emotional highs, but there are going to be some deep emotional lows. But here's what he said. Take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And that's good news for us today. That when we go through tough times and when we go through emotional downs and struggles, that we can look to God and know that God says, I've overcome the world, and so you can take heart. I want our band to come. And I've asked our band to do a a couple of songs here at this point in the talk because I, I think the message of these songs is powerful. And I think they'll resonate with our hearts this morning. Would you stand with me and then following our our singing together and our reflection together on these songs. I'm going to come back and I want to wrap this thing up with a couple of takeaways this morning of how we can manage our emotions with God's help. Let me give you a couple of takeaways this morning. I personally believe that there is a, a godly way to manage our emotions. And I think there's an, there are ungodly ways to manage our emotions. I want to give you a few things that um, I've learned partially from experience and partially just from a deepening relationship with God through the years. First thing I would, I would suggest that we do is this. Define what you're feeling, but don't let what you're feeling define you. Every emotion tells a story. Every emotion comes with a message. What's the What's the message? What's the story that you've got to learn, you've got to hear, 
that that emotion is trying to tell you. Now, now I'm a musical person. And one of the things I love about iTunes is I love the ability to create playlists. And I've created all sorts of playlists, and most of them, quite honestly, are driven by my emotions. You know, when, when I'm exercising... When I'm out walking, if I'm listening to tunes, I want something that's high energy. I want something that's going to move me. And I've got a playlist that's designed for those sorts of things. I also have playlists that are designed for when I feel like I just want to chill out. I just want to relax. Or maybe I want to be nostalgic and I want to take walks down memory lanes and sometimes listening to certain songs takes me back in time. And that's actually a good thing to go back in time mentally. And then I've got a playlist that's all about worship, contemplation, meditation. And many times I'll listen to that playlist when it's time for me and God to do some business. It's time for us just to talk openly and honestly about what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, and what I need God to speak to me about. And so that playlist helps create the emotion. You see, I think emotions need to be defined, but we must not let them define us. We must hear the story they're trying to tell us, and we must learn from it. A second really important thing that I've learned about managing our emotions is this. I think we need to be open to others, to others that we can trust. I love the inspirational poem, like many of you do, uh, Footprints in the Sand. You know how it goes. You know, you're walking through life, two sets of footprints, except when you went through a tough time. And then all of a sudden in that time, there was one set of footprints and you ask God, why one set? And God says, because during that time I was carrying you. I think there's a critical dimension, though I love the the poem and I love the, the visual image of it. There is a critical dimension of that particular poem that's missing and it's this. If we walk through life and life is just about us or even just about us and God, one set of footprints or two set of footprints I think we're going to walk through times and we're going to deal with some emotional things that we don't have to. I think the right way for that poem to be told is this, that in the sand there are bunches of footprints. That as you walk through life, you and I are not intended to walk through it alone. We're intended to walk through it with a faith community. With people who are going through stuff just like we are that can encourage us and pray for us, and support us. And my wife and I cannot even begin to thank this church family enough for some of the things that we've gone through in the last 12 months. But I want you to know the strength that we've received is when we look around, we've seen multiple footprints in the sand. It's made a difference. And there's one final thing that I would encourage us to do. Give God permission to know the real you. Here's what I mean. Invite God into the deepest part of what you're feeling. You know, we we try to make our prayers palatable to God. But what God wants more than anything else is God wants to know the real you. Truth be told, your deepest emotions don't scare God. They might scare everyone else around you, but they don't scare God. God can handle them. And God wants to know them. That's why David in Psalm 139 prayed this. He said, oh Lord, you have looked through me and you have known me. You understand my thoughts from afar. You understand what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. You have looked 
right through me. And then he gives God this invitation at the end of Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When we have that kind of relationship with God where we've invited him into the real us, we've given him permission to know us in our ugliest moments, God can point out what offends him. He's big enough to let us know when we've crossed the line. But I think God wants us to be gut-level real with him more than anyone else in our lives. And I've learned in my life that I am, I am most spiritually healthy when I am most emotionally honest with God. We're going to sing one final song the band's going to lead us in, but I want to pray first. We're going to sing a song inviting God to search us. But before we do, would you bow your heads this morning and close your eyes? And let me just pray a, a prayer of blessing uh, for you today. As you sit in our auditorium, I suspect that one or two or maybe more of the feelings that I talked about this morning resonated with you. Maybe you are learning how to manage and how to deal with your anger, your disappointment with God, or the feeling of being rejected, or maybe you even today are struggling with depression. And maybe you've never been honest with God and said, God, this is what I feel like today. This is how deep this hurts. God wants to hear from you. God wants to know your deepest emotions. And this morning, you might be here and God is distant and somebody that you don't have a relationship with when things are going well, only when things are going bad or vice versa. Or maybe to you, God has always just been a distant being, not a personal friend that sticks closer than a family member. That's what the Bible suggests he is. And that's what God wants to be to you today. So let me pray and let me just bless you this morning. And let's invite God together to search our hearts. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that you see right through us. There's not a feeling that we have. There's not a thought that passes through our minds. There's not a word that exits our mouth that you're not aware of before it happens. Forgive us for pretending um, and trying to present to you a, a persona and an image that somehow we think that you're going to look more favorably upon us if, if we present ourselves to you that way. God, forgive us for, for being disingenuous, not being real. You ask us, Lord, to come to you and come just as we are, and we do that today. I invite you, God, into our lives, and I invite you, God, into our hearts and into our emotions. I pray, as David prayed, that you would search us and that you would know us and that you would see if there's any way in us that's offensive to you, God. And I know that one of the things that offends you is when we are, when we are phony, when we aren't real with you. So, God, forgive us. And help us, I pray, that as we're in these early days of 2013, that we will be real with you and that we will have an authentic relationship with you, God. Thank you that you're big enough, strong enough, and you're mighty enough to handle the deepest, weakest, most difficult parts of us. We ask you, Lord, to search us today and to know us and be pleased with us. 
It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more, check out gracecrossingchurch.net. To experience Grace Crossing Church in real time, we meet on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 1153 Beaver Valley Road in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thanks and have a wonderful day.